Welcome back to, to Gross Anatomy, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. And we've been away for a while, several months, right? We have, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm Dr. Jason Cohen. I'm here with... Lauren Taylor. And we're back. We are back. In 2019, a new year, and hopefully we're going to get up and running and going, and Lauren's going to ease us into this, I think. Yes, I am. For today's episode, I was thinking we just do some real-life medicine, like medical shows versus the reality. Just asking a doctor my questions. I love it. Easier for me. Certain questions. Cool. Um, about what I see on TV and what it's like in real life. And that's kind of the goal of, the, of this whole podcast, is kind of to talk about the myths of... Uh, entertainment medicine versus real medicine and how the two compare. So I love the topic. I love the theme. Exactly. Yeah. I thought we'd uh, just get into it. Get into it. All right. One of the questions is, I watched all of House. What show? House. House. Yes. Which is a great show. Great show. But, I mean, they don't make the diagnosis, diagnosis look easy. But I think in most other shows that they do, like they make it seem so easy to just get a diagnosis how is it in real life sometimes the diagnosis is super easy and everybody uh, you know one thing we doctors will often say is you know if it smells like a rose it's a rose if it you know if it if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck typically it is a duck but occasionally uh diagnoses are hard and so much so you know today even i told a patient i had to give a patient results of a surgical biopsy that i did that fortunately isn't cancer um but even though i gave this great news of him not having cancer he still has something going on with him that we don't totally know what it is so sure the thing i removed isn't cancer but we were kind of hoping to some degree maybe it would be cancer because then at least he could say i have cancer i know what i have i know what's causing me to feel yucky and now there are these treatments or no treatments, but at least he could kind of hang his hat on that and feel good. So today I had to, the guy called me. I was hoping to wait until I saw him face to face, but he called me all anxious and I finally got the result back today. And I said to him, I said, you know, great news, no cancer, bad news, no cancer, because I don't know really what it is that's causing all the stuff that's going on with you. So unfortunately, it does happen a decent amount of time where we may get someone better but yet we don't know the diagnosis and exactly what caused it. You know, a, a lot of times we'll have a patient come in with some weird gastrointestinal illness and they're sick in the hospital. And as surgeons, we want to make sure that they don't need surgery. That's kind of the main thing. But then once we make sure they don't need surgery, my feeling is I want to get them better. And as long as I get them better, I'm okay not knowing the diagnosis or why they were sick. But I explain to patients sometimes that we may get you better, but we may not know what it was that caused this so so you don't actually like in house if you can't figure it out you don't just write everything on a whiteboard like what is the actual process of like you don't know what's wrong with this guy he just has this biopsy right we we are not house and house i think he always kind of comes is able to kind of come up with the diagnosis that guy's a genius i don't think he exists i mean there <laughs> may be some people like yeah. that you know some people talk about going to certain hospitals where they have that i think at the hospital one of the hospitals where i work they're trying to start up their own difficult diagnosis clinic. Um, but even just by nature of them saying that they're starting that, 
there's no house. That guy doesn't exist. I want to hire him because uh, it's 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 really really rare that that it's it's very common that people have um, most of the time people have straightforward diagnoses, but it's not uncommon for us to treat someone, get them better, and not know the diagnosis and maybe never figure it out. And then there are all these people walking around, I know I'm rambling, but walking around with like chronic abdominal pain. You know, you hear about all these people with chronic abdominal pain. I have IBS, I have this and that. It's possible that they have something else that we just never figure out and don't know. And I often wish we had house to figure that out, but... Now it seems like yeah, people with chronic abdominal pain just stop eating gluten, or they're told they have right. like a everybody, gluten allergy. Right, everybody <laughs> decides I have gluten allergy, yeah. and maybe they do, or maybe you know I've slowly become this weird pseudo vegan guy, and maybe there's something about animal products causing inflammation, which I think there is something to that. Who knows? So there's never like if you can't figure it out, there's not a real doctor that people just send to for an actual diet. There isn't. Everybody always talks about, oh, the Mayo Clinic. I'm going to the Mayo Clinic. But I don't really know if they have House there or a guy like House. And again, this hospital, my main hospital where I do most of my work out of, has recently, I saw this thing that they're trying to start a House type of scenario. And I don't know, I, I haven't heard anything other than the fact that they're starting it. I don't know how well they're doing. I don't know what kind of patients have come in there. I'm curious. I should look into that to see. Um, occasionally, we get lucky, and and I think if we as doctors, if we've seen enough and been through enough, sometimes we get lucky and we kind of are able to kind of find that rare thing, and we look like a genius. And occasionally that happens. And of course, yeah, that I'm must a genius. feel really good. It feels amazing, but uh, the reality it doesn't always happen. All right, here's the the next question. CPR. I just watched this. I watched A Beautiful Boy, finally, which was amazing. The one with Steve Carell. Did you watch oh, it? Oh, yeah. No, I didn't see it. Okay. It's really I want to see it. It's really good. It's on Amazon Prime. But in that, um, this girl has a... It looks very depressing. Yeah. She has a, a drug overdose, and the kid does CPR on her. Right. And she, you know, automatically comes back to life, and right. she can breathe and everything again. Right. But I was reading that that's not often the reality. Like right. Right. Um, that like 40% of patients who receive CPR actually survive or are resuscitated. Is that, I mean, how accurate do you think like the CPR and like all the TV shows when they're like, just give them CPR and yeah. they come back? So it's been a long time for me already that I've, that I've done critical care medicine. I don't, I don't really do that anymore. And thankfully, luckily I haven't had to do CPR on someone in quite some time. Um, most of the time, at least in the hospital, when we're doing CPR, um, usually the patient's pretty sick. Occasionally, we, more often, more and more in the as time is passing, we have more successes, but oftentimes the successes might be short-lived. It might be in a really critically ill patient that we maybe get back for a little bit. You know, and then they're sick again in the intensive care unit, and maybe they don't ultimately make it. Um, occasionally, uh, at least in my memory, less often than we think do we really resuscitate patients after CPR. But in the field, I think there is something to be said for quick CPR. You know, in a patient who develops some kind in a healthy patient who for some reason their heart heart stops beating 
quick CPR, there may be some role for that or cardioversion or shocking them. And that's why you see on airplanes and all these places, they have the the shock paddles and, and that around because quick intervention in a healthy per- person might might be helpful. I don't know the data. I don't know the numbers. Certainly, it's not as dramatic and impressive and amazing as it is in the real world. All right. Here's one I've really been wondering, too. Um, TV doctors always um, are so into the patient's lives. They always sit on the bedside. They're always there doing emotional things, um, especially like in Grey's Anatomy. They even like, you know, sometimes fall in love with the patient or they just develop these emotional connections. And it seems like just from knowing you, you're like you're so busy in your practice and everything you do. How much time do doctors actually spend with their patients? Well, there, there are a few different things. Um, so I hate people, so I spend no time with <laughs> I don't patients. Think that's no, true. Um, no, it's it's a challenge. You know, doctors more and more. You know, the the push is to see more and more patients, and uh, so that you can. Um, Unfortunately, make make a living uh, because reimbursements are going down on insurance. So doctors are stressed to kind of be a volume kind of business to see more and more patients. And when that happens, uh, or when you become more in demand and and people want to see you, you wind up uh, oftentimes spending less time with the patient. Um, There is a tendency towards a lot of doctors um, in medicine trying to become kind of concierge or limit their practices and maybe charging patients a little premium so they actually could deliberately see less patients but give patients more time. And that has been a trend, especially in big cities, to try to do that. Um, But the reality, and you hear from patients all the time, is my doctor spent 10 minutes with me and and that was it. You know, I waited for an hour and I got to see the... One thing that, you know, one of my flaws, I think, to some degree, is I'm always running behind when I'm seeing patients in the office. And one of the reasons is I actually like talking to people. So I wind up kind of sitting and schmoozing, you know, after the kind of doctor stuff with people. Um, And I think patients like it. I like it. Um, but it it's definitely slows me down. My office staff hates it. Mm-hmm. Certainly my family hates it because I wind up getting home later and all that. Um, but, but the reality is it's just not financially viable anymore, unfortunately. It's not financially viable, unfortunately. But, or just time, you know, there's a lot of time management too. Um, but certain amazing doctors, you know, do try to do that. Or, you know, occasionally you do make a connection with a patient or a patient's family, um, or even if you don't, you you find a patient that, um, you know, I remember one weekend several years ago, I was on call for another surgeon, and there was a patient who was in the hospital who was dying from cancer and um, had a surgical issue that could have, might have needed surgery. But oddly enough, the patient's Doctors, the surgeon, the oncologist, all, all the doctors never let this patient know that she was dying, that she was in this hospital now, and she wasn't going to make it no matter what we did. And and I, it's not that I connected, it's that I walked in there and I felt that the, the, the patient, her husband, they, they just didn't understand what was going on. And I and I remember wind up, winding up taking a lot of time talking to them and just talking to them and kind of letting them know that 
this was going to be it. My gosh. And I'm like welling up just hearing you talk about that. I don't know how you deal with that on a, I guess. And so, yeah, no, it was totally hard. I'm lucky and unlucky in that both my parents died fairly young and I dealt with their deaths. And I think that was crazy unlucky. And both my parents were pretty dynamic, impressive people, but it let me deal with death, unfortunately, at a fairly youngish age and deal with loss and, and all of that. And it, it helped me kind of be a better doctor, I think, and friend to people uh, in that kind of time. And I think a lot of doctors, a lot of people haven't dealt with that and, and don't know how to talk about it and deal with it. And it kind of it freed it because of that it allowed me or or gave me the the realization of how to how to talk to someone about it. I kind of just felt like I've been through it, so I have permission to deal with it and talk about it um and it made me better at it and and um I'm a cancer surgeon as my subspecialty I think you know aside from the surgery, I think one of the things I'm good with uh and one of the things I like is helping people deal with the dying aspect of their cancer but not in terms of the dying but in terms of the living for however much time it is Mm -hmm. and so I spent a lot of time with that patient just to finish that little story and sure enough she she didn't make it out of the hospital as expected and and I was just the covering doctor I, I wasn't even you know I was just some guy out of the blue you know I saw her the next day when I rounded again but what was great and, and reaffirmed the fact that I was doing something right is that months later, I, I think I got a letter or something from the husband saying how grateful he was that finally someone let them know what was going on because they had no idea. That's heartbreaking. So, yeah, they could spend the last time they had together talking about whatever they needed to talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to be such a no, downer there. It's not. It's yeah. real life. I mean, yeah. This is real life medicine podcast. But a lot of times we don't we don't get the chance to spend that much time with patients. Um, you know, sometimes you know, un- unfortunately, doctors have their own bring their own baggage too with them. So, you know, I think a lot of doctors, if they connect with someone, they may want to spend more time with them. Whereas if they don't necessarily connect with that person. They may just give them their five or ten minutes. I'm sure um, you also have patients that call you nonstop or that want demand your attention. Sure. It's going to be hard to, to manage. And you have to figure that out and figure out the boundaries. And, uh, yeah, that, that's certainly always a, a, a juggle in itself as well. Hmm. All right. Speaking of boundaries, we'll switch it up. One thing I used to – I'm going to cut you off. One thing no, I used yeah. to like to do is I used to like to – when my kids were younger, I would sneak them into the hospital with me to make rounds on the patients – and I, I think my my kids, some of them, you know, still talk about those experiences. And my eldest daughter, who's 22, um, still talks about one particular patient who made it to 100. Um, and she was kind of a bit of a crotchety old lady, but she really appreciated when I would visit, especially with one of my kids. And the fact that my kid recently just mentioned it to me, remembering the woman's name and everything um, you know, it was nice. You know, we were able to kind of, to some degree, we were this woman's family. She didn't really have anybody left. And, uh, it's nice. Yeah. It's a nice 
for her. Nice yeah. memory for your daughter. Yeah. And then didn't your middle daughter, isn't she volunteering? At she did. Over the summer, she volunteered at the at the hospital. Um, and she, interestingly, both of my younger daughters at this point, they're 12, about to be 13, about to be four, 15, are maybe considering a career in medicine, which I think is nuts, but great on, <laughs> I was also. I going to ask you what you thought yeah. about that because I know how I think it's great it and crazy, be. but, but you know, um, but I, I don't, I, I'm not sure um, what her experience volunteering this summer was. I, I, I'm, it could have been better. I think she got to see some stuff, but hopefully she'll continue to see things to open her eyes up. and See what she wants to do. Yeah. Um, Maybe they could just become movie and TV doctors. Yeah. yeah. Or you could become a consultant for a TV show. There you they go. They have those. Exactly. Apparently they had those on House. Well, interestingly, the guy who wrote House was a doctor first. Sure, I think his last name is. Right? Isn't it? Uh, sounds right. Yeah. Um, I think he was based in L.A. even. He may have even been an emergency room doctor um, initially. Uh, I wonder what he was inspired by. I didn't look it up. Like, I don't there remember. was some kind of character or doctor he met that he was like I think he got the chance first to like help out on another TV show and then he kind of parlayed it but I'm not totally sure okay if I'm not mistaken I actually think I spoke to him once on the phone I think we had a conversation once about medicine and medical TV shows believe it or not did you know that no yeah I think I had a conversation with him years ago at least probably 15 years ago like he just wanted to pick your brain no I Someone introduced us, and I actually wanted to pick his brain. Ah. Yeah, nice. and he was very open and talked to me. Who wouldn't want to pick his brain? Is yeah. he the one that does the new show? The, yeah, The Good Doctor. The, the Good Doctor, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know why he's not calling me to pick my brain. He should be, but <laughs> I, I don't know. He's really rich. He, no, he should pick your brain. Yeah. All right. Um, another question I had was, this one's a little bit more salacious. Like in Grey's Anatomy, everyone's always hooking up. Do patients and doctors ever have you ever witnessed anything like that? Or yes, I I have a, on a personal level. No, I, I've never seen any hookup with patients um, personally. But I do know of certain doctors that have gotten together with patients or patients' family members, um, even kind of in the Hollywood world out here in LA. Um, uh, I knew of one or two relationships, one of which isn't still going on. Um, and it's interesting, you know, because I think the doctor was treating that person and it's kind of, you know, walking a line that you're supposed to not cross. So so it's unethical, but it's not illegal at all. I, I don't I don't think it's illegal. I um, It's probably unethical. And I think I... Hopefully, the, the relationship happened after that person stopped being their patient. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and it, and I think it happened when the doctors were residents and were kind of peripheral to the care of of the patient. And then, then I think once the patient was better, somehow there was some chemistry and and a date, and who knows. Um, so. It happens. I don't think it happens as much as we see on the TV shows. Right. I think there definitely is a certain amount of hooking up between doctors and doctors and staffers and things like that that definitely goes on because of the tight quarters and the um, the fact that everybody's working long, hard hours and in stressful situations and there's bonding and 
to some degree, you, you know, you definitely spend more time with the people here at work than you do at home, and right. and there's stress and there's bonds, and and there definitely is some hooking up more than more than I think in other workplaces, probably in less than in other workplaces. Everyone spends so much time together. So much time together, so, and people really get to know each other. So I think. Um, and it's and it's more open too. It's more kind of gossiped about because I think everybody's around and knows everybody's business. So there's definitely that sexiness about, and everybody's dressed oh, in scrubs. Maybe Grey's and, Anatomy's got it right. It's right, but it's definitely sense. exaggerated yeah. on those shows for <laughs> sure. Know. But uh-huh. it but but it comes from some truth. It, it's not totally made up. I mean, I think it, it's probably my guess is Hollywood with all that stuff, sports with there's probably a lot of craziness that goes on there. And then maybe the medical world, if I had to guess in terms of, and and then that would be an interesting um, list to see if you could Google what fields have the most inter <laughs> mingling, mingling, yeah. uh, you know, the, a rank list. That might be a cool rank list for us to come up with or something right. to search. I'll look but, into it. But I think medicine is probably in the top five, if I had to guess. Right. I I could see the time thing making people, yeah. Yeah. And then especially, you know, the trainees, you know, going, you know, there's nursing students and medical students and medical residents. And you're still kind of young and you're still Mm -hmm. kind of going through, uh, you know, when you're young, you don't even think of consequences to some degree. So I think in the youngsters, I think it happens a lot more. Um, yeah, and I think that's kind of where Grey's Anatomy started. You right. Know, pilot episode. Yeah, but it's certainly not all, you know, Grey's Anatomy is just all sex. Right, right, you know, right. right, the pilot episode, they sleep together. Yeah. Um, I don't, it's not that fun. But, but they're definitely, to some degree, that stuff could happen and does happen. Do you see a lot of, like, I can't imagine Never for your me, schedule. Of no, I know. Right. And your wife is amazing and she is a nurse and she does amazing things. But could you see like do you, have you known like a surgeon to marry a surgeon? That schedule just seems so crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh interestingly, this one of the surgeons who I know who was actually dating or married to a celebrity that this surgeon met while the celebrity was a patient, that surgeon is no longer with that celebrity and is with another surgeon. Ah. Interesting. That is interesting. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a, a couple of surgeons, couples, uh, or surgeon-nurse couples that I know of. And I think it's definitely, well, I think all relationships are a challenge. I yeah. think especially in medicine, um, it might be good, you know, if they're in the same field because you know of each other's craziness to some degree and and you could understand if you're working crazy hours but also the same thing you're apart for so long and then you're in these other high stress relationships so it's all a challenge yeah all right so you answered most of my questions now i kind of want to find out what you find to be most preposterous in like shows or movies like What's uh, something that really bugs you when you see it in TV shows? I know you talked about like the X-ray being right. upside down before, and that's what bothers me the most. It's like the minutia, you know, because that's what I want right, you know, in in a show or a movie, you know, the little. Although, like Pulp Fiction, when he stabbed her in the heart with a in the chest with the adrenaline, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I love that because yeah. that's just out there and great, um, and that works for me when you're going out there. 
But when you're trying to be like a realistic show and you show CPR and you're, you know, barely doing it or something, that kind of annoys me because you could, you know, if you could act a good fight and punches, why shouldn't you be able to act proper CPR Um, or, you know, an x-ray or what really bothers me is when doctors, medical doctors use terms and they're mispronouncing it. You would think that someone would at least figure out how to pronounce this word properly. Otherwise, don't use the word. Right. Like stupid little minutiae bug me more than anything. But I I think a lawyer watching a law movie or law TV show would maybe be annoyed with if the law stuff was wrong. I think. I hope. I don't know. Um, Those are the things that kind of bug me. Right. Just the little details that you feel like. These are big TV shows. They should right. get it right. Yeah, yeah. Ask me. I I could tell you that that's kind of the frustrating thing. There's a lot of medical shows listed. Um, just people are fascinated by this world as an MI, um, like Nip Tuck, Doogie Howser, shows we haven't talked about. Um, what's your favorite yeah. medical show or movie? Yeah. So. I don't really watch medical shows at all. We talked about that. I watched The Good Doctor. I liked the pilot. I haven't seen another episode, although I'd like to. Um, I have seen some House episodes. I think they're fun. I have seen some Grey's Anatomy episodes. I think they're fun. I've watched some Royal Pains episodes because of my friend Mark. Yes. Um, and I thought those were fun. Um, so I, there's no... At this point in my life, there's no medical show that I say, oh, I want to watch the show and, and should follow. Um, shows that I used to watch. I mean, the main show that motivated me almost to some degree to become a doctor was a show called St. Elsewhere. I don't know if we ever talked about it on the podcast. You did a little bit. I did talk about St. Elsewhere. Wait, is that the one that made you want to become a doctor? A little bit. Okay. okay. Yeah. And um, what I liked about that, so that came out in the 80s, you know, when I when I was a little kid. And, and that's the TV show that really inspired me to become a doctor. And what I liked about it was... In addition to the fact that it was a medical show, it was it had a lot of heart and compassion. Sure, it had all the sex and all that stuff, but I remember more than anything was the heart and the compassion. And I don't and I don't know if I ever talked about it. My favorite character was this character Morse. His last name is Morse in real life. I, I don't remember his his first name. And oddly, he was this big curly-haired guy who was like the sweet, compassionate doctor that you rooted for. And then at the towards the end of the show, he was working in a prison and he got raped. And he and I hated the fact that they wow. did that to him. And then oddly enough, he disappeared for a while and then reappeared in TV and movies as like a badass dude, you know, like a tough guy or even bad guy. And it kind of upset me because he was this compassionate doctor that I always and looked to. Really horrible. And but he's had a successful career, I think. But he, but he kind of turned into a tough guy, bad guy. Interestingly, the other person on that show, a lot of great people, Howie Mandel, you know, the yeah. the deal or no deal guy. So he was on that TV show as a curly, he was curly haired guy back then before he was bald. And he was a great character who I also liked. And, and they were great because there was the humanity, humanity of the doctors. It was, it was more about these caring people going through the same kind of Grey's Anatomy stuff, tough stuff. But it was more about the caring compassionate side and and uh denzel washington was in that oh, show as yeah, well we um big right break exactly uh, and it, th- so that show was a was a big 
turning point. I wonder now if it would hold up and stand the test of time if I were to watch have it. have to download an episode. Yeah, I'd probably be bored and hate it, you know. Um, and then also there was the show Northern Exposure. I like that show. Yeah, so uh, that was a fun show about the doctor who thought he was going to... You know, some I think he thought he was like going to Beverly Hills kind of thing, right? Um, to do his service, and they put him in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. And it's this Jewish doctor, totally Jewy doctor, kind of like me. In fact, so much so that he's from New York. From New York, that people would even his name in the show was Fleischman, and and people at one point would even call me Fleischman <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> the show was popular. Yeah, and so that was a fun show. I heard a rumor that they're maybe trying to do a reboot of that. Oh, really? Yeah, it said. got really strange at the end, but the yeah. It was fun at first. It was a, it was fun a show. good, interesting concept. Yeah. And then MASH was always an interesting show. I don't know so much for the medicine, but the characters were great. And uh, and then in terms of movie, well, I, I don't really know of any movies that I love. I'm sure there were. I just can't think of any. But there was a book uh, called House of God that kind of everybody uh, going through the medical journey would recommend if you're going through the medical journey you have to read House of God you should read House of God because it's also very dated I think it came out in the 70s but it kind of was like a Grey's Anatomy-ish but it was kind of real hyper real about what it was like to be a resident intern training to become a doctor um, with the hijinks and the craziness that would go on and, and the politics and how to maneuver through it and it was a really fun book, and everybody always used to say, "Oh, you're go- you you got to read House of God. You want to be a doctor, or you're doing your med school now. You're doing you got to read House of God." Was so, it written by a doctor? I think he was a doctor. Okay. Shem, I think his name. Um, and it was made into a movie. I just looked up, uh, but I never saw it. I'm curious to see it. Um, yeah. All right. I'm looking for a good book. So House of God. House of God. All it's right. a fun read. In fact, I I run a pre med program at one of the hospitals. Um, I need to tell my students to read it, although it's so dated, but I, it's still kind of fun and interesting. So that's your homework assignment, Lauren. House of God. House of God. Got it. There you go. All right. Anything else, Dr. Cohen? I, you answered all my questions. I'm glad I answered your questions. So uh, uh, we hope to be back with uh, Gross Anatomy. and More regularly. Uh, I hope so. And we really would love to get some feedback from people if they want to hear about interesting topics or pick our brain or talk to us about anything we would love to hear from you mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the stuff we talk about is just anecdotal it, there's some science to it but don't hold me to it right and you can always go to grossanatomypodcast.com and send us some feedback send us the topics you want thank you thanks bye that's it for this week thanks for listening to gross anatomy and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on itunes so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights smells and sounds of medicine